Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast from the Wiggly Sofa in the Wiggly world of Lower Blakemere Farm. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers and I am joined today by Farmer Phil. Hi, Farmer Phil. Hi, wifely one. And Ricardo. Hello, Heather. How are you today? I am very well, and you look as brown as a button. Brown as a berry. Oh, yes, a berry. (laughs) (laughs) Or a brown button, possibly. Yes, as brown as Uh, a brown leather button. You're not as brown as I imagined you would be, having just got back from gallivanting around the subcontinent of India. Well, I took practical items like shorts and sleeveless tops. Right. And you couldn't really wear them. So I ended up with two trousers, which I washed every day. Okay. Because I forgot my clothes because of the visa issue. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Philip's positively pasty. I don't know whether <laughs> Phil did he go at all. I mean, was it odd? Was the it sun? Was it cloudy the whole time? the pace. That's right. the trouble there. Yeah. I think he stood the pace very satisfactorily, <laughs> as I recall. On this week's show, we don't have a Monte Carlo, <laughs> so we will be bringing the boy in to record more very soon. We have got a report from India. We're going to find out a little bit about Richard's sheep again. And we've got tons and tons of feedback. So, feedback number one comes in from Andy. And he says, Hi guys, I don't know if you remember me. My name's Andy West and I was on one of your podcasts while I was working at Wyvern FM. Well, for those of you who haven't listened, he's the one that we get in the cow shed and ask, why did you say Farmer Phil said farmers are revolting? (laughs) Remember that? I do. Anyway, he says, I've listened to your broadcasts ever since along with my partner and a couple of friends and I had to email after you poked fun at the BBC. I hadn't realised we had. We did, yeah, because we said we got millions and squillions of listeners and Radio 3 only had three. Oh, I see. I sometimes produce the Jeremy Vine Show and work at Radio 5 Live these days and listening to your show always brings back happy memories. I hear you have 120,000 listeners a week now. That's absolutely brilliant. Well done, keep up the fantastic work. Can I offer you some feedback? I can't resist. I would love to hear a quick bulletin-style run-through of the top agricultural stories of the week. Heather, I know you could do a great take-off of BBC Newsreaders. Oh, I don't know if we got that. I think not. Anyway. Also, more arguments. They're really interesting as well as entertaining. Anyway, I've added you to my new contacts and I'm itching to find an excuse to try and get you on the air somewhere here if you would be up for it. Mm. All the best, Andy West. I'm up for it. Yeah, and more arguments. Right. <laughs> sounds fabulous. Yeah, more arguments. That yeah. Sounds, that sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Great. but darlings, what about your intellectual property rights? You know, what about your you know, compromise of broadcasting to the nation? You know, you're supposed to be standing true to podcasting. Well, Rich hasn't now got much. you're just going to give it all up for Rich, fame and fortune. Rich hasn't yeah. got much <laughs> intellect, so he's not yeah, going to worry uh, about the property much, rights uh, on it, is he? Oh, blimey. It was an interesting <laughs> one. I thought you were going to say, I haven't got much integrity. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's a different <laughs> argument altogether, that is. <laughs> but podcasting, gosh, now it'd be great to do a regular feature, wouldn't it? Because then we could broadcast to the masses. I don't know what Jeremy Vine show about 8 million listeners, something like that, 6 or 8 million that listeners. All? That's all, yeah. <laughs> so Fails to insignificance compared to our listenership. Dear listener, if you are a radio producer or you have sort of global empire of uh, radio stations under your control, we would like to do a feature for you every week from the weekly sofa of drivel and dribble. But please be warned that Ricardo 
it seems to think that this entitles him to have an entourage and he is liable to make demands in the dressing room, I'm told, <laughs> of certain requirements. I think he's been reading too much about Madonna et al. There's nothing wrong with making demands in the dressing room, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, we'll have one more bit of feedback before we go into the heavyweight. Podchef is back with a vengeance, so we'll hear from Farmer Phil in a sec. But our latest review on iTunes is from Goldfish. Ricardo, is it a five-star? I like that. I like that name. Uh, It is a five-star again, and uh, she's... Well, I'm assuming it's a she. I don't know. Possibly it might be a fella, but feels it has that kind of femininity about it. We've been wiggling since 2006, listening to this great podcast and laughing along with Heather, Richard, Farmer Phil and the crew as they have entertained and educated us about nature, farming and wildlife gardening. As a result, we now have a garden blooming with veggies, a stunning marsh garden and are visited by many kinds of wildlife. You can't ask for much more from a podcast than that, can you? No, you can't. That's fabulous. So we've achieved something. So we got one garden turned into a wildlife garden <laughs> in seem. three years of podcasting <laughs> with okay. 81 hours of... <laughs> so does that mean that there's about six billion divided by a family of four left to go? Yes. Excellent. Is there any more reviews, Rich? There are a couple more reviews. We'll have those next week, but thank you very much for sending them all in. They've obviously responded to our request. Yes, thank you very much indeed. Let's go to a bit of India... And hear from Madaf Mera about the Climate Change Conference. Phil, you enjoyed it, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It was a, a, a fantastic experience. And the, the extremes, the, the, the contrasts were just amazing, weren't they? Yeah. Here we go. So here I am at One World South Asia with Madhus Mehta. <laughs> Have I said it right? Right. Yeah. And what's your role here, please? I work on the Lifelines India project, which is a telephone-based helpline service for rural communities in India. Tell me about how it was set up originally. A program was initially conceptualised uh, as a collaboration between the One World Foundation and British Telecom. And uh, it was introduced to bring an information delivery service to rural communities through the medium of the telephone. Because uh, in India, if we talk about the penetration of internet, that is not very high. And telephone is the most widely used means of communication. This would also tide over problems of illiteracy, which is to some extent a problem in rural India. So, a farmer, say, has a problem with his crop. Maybe termites have eaten it or maybe there's a problem with the soil. Right. How would he possibly know to phone you up? For help. Okay. What we do is uh, the the areas of the villages where we have introduced the service. Of course, it's not covering the entire of India as such. We have uh, the service presently covers four states and uh, has two thousand villages under its coverage as of now. So the the areas where we have reached out to, we try to do as much promotion, as much advocacy for the program as possible, so that 
the maximum number of farmers get to know that a service like that has come to their village and uh, apart from that the service is facilitated by field volunteers who work in the field who go to the farmers and tell them about the service so that in that way we try to build as much awareness about the service as possible so that more and more farmers get to use the service so have each of the families got a mobile phone or has the volunteer got the phone how does that work the model is built in a way in such that the volunteer carries a mobile phone because uh, the ownership of mobile phones uh, is not very high not every farmer has a mobile phone so what we do is we get the volunteer we give the volunteer a mobile phone the volunteer visits the farmers whether it's in the farmer's house or whether it's in the farmer's fields and then asks the farmer if there is a problem in the field if the farmer needs any kind of advice and then if the farmer has any questions then the volunteer offers his own mobile phone and says you can uh, call up the service is from from my phone and so on the other end of the phone is there an expert or what happens once i phone in and say termites have eaten my crop right this is not a real time service there's nobody sitting on the other side of the phone this is an uh, ivrs based system which is an interactive voice response system so when the farmer calls up the service he gets to hear the voice of the computer uh, prompting him to uh, record his question the farmer records his question and is given a question number as a reference id and is uh, requested to call back 24 hours later for the answer the next day the farmer calls up the service again and is uh, asked for his question number the reference id so that that the farmer feeds into the system as in the like, the phone and gets the answer at the back end what happens all this while is in the meanwhile is uh, the question that is recorded in the system that goes into the database and from there uh, from the database the question is accessed by agri experts they listen to the question that is recorded in the database and then they answer the question and then the answer is attached to the question and 24 hours later it available it, it it becomes available to the farmer what if the farmers are asking all the same question wouldn't that mean that people are repeating themselves over and over again is the database searchable or what happens then the the database is searchable and every question that is asked in the service that goes and gets stored in the database so as of now the number of questions in the database it has crossed 100000 and you <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of termites about <laughs> yeah they they are a lot about uh, diseases but also about other aspects like marketing of products and then weather forecast and uh, fertilizers kind of fertilizers to use and uh, pricing and government policies and lots of other questions but yeah i think the bulk of the questions they are related to diseases and all only also varieties of crops uh, like the the service also covers an area which is uh, drought prone so they ask questions as to what kind of varieties of maize or other crops we can use which use less water so different kinds of questions like that and where are you accessing the experts from because different people may have different opinions on what to do about a drought right how, how do you know that the expert that you've got is appropriate what happens is that we have some knowledge workers who listen to the questions which come in yeah then they listen to the questions and then they forward if it's a pathology question or if it's a fruit question then they would forward these questions to a fruit expert I see. or if it's 
some related to some um, disease then they would send it to an expert who is an expert in plant diseases sometimes it might happen that there might be two answers for the same question then it, the knowledge worker listens to the answers and then tags both the answers together yeah. or sometimes uses his discretion to choose which would be the best possible answer for the question now i know you said to me earlier that there's somewhere around 300 calls a day right. coming in which yes. is incredible right. from farmers all around northern india yes uh, can you tell the benefit that they've received i mean obviously to mm-hmm. have your question answered on something uh, you know fairly non-important would be convenient right but i would anticipate that if you're able to answer a question on say how to eradicate a pest yes that could change somebody's life exactly exactly is there any feedback that you've got from any farmers that have actually made a difference to their crops or their livestock or even their family life from having this service yes we have quite a, f- a lot of feedback from farmers who've said that the advice that they've received from the service has really helped them once one farmer's uh, his crop was saved because of the advice he received he had soya bean crop yeah. and uh, his crop was attacked by pests and he called up the service and he got some advice on the kind of medicines to use and timely use of the medicines really did help him uh, in saving the crop apart from that there have been questions like dairy related questions cows are giving less milk or uh, they have been helped and they've been benefited and this has uh, gotten reflected in uh, the production of the crops the cro- crop production and also income growth so crop production and income growth these would be two indicators by which we can say that uh, the farmers have been benefited thank you and lastly i just wanted to know i watched anusha's presentation right. at the climate change conference and and her presentation was about activating women and children mm-hmm. and i wondered about the role of women mm-hmm. within agriculture how does that work generally and do they generally access this service or is it usually their male counterpart uh, usually for the m- most part but it uh, would be the male farmer who is accessed but uh, there are female farmers as in women they do form a, a bulk of the farming community they do work in the fields but if we look at the people who are actually asking the questions the percentage of males would be much larger than that of females if you could bring in a cultural context to do that also because uh, the volunteers are males so the on the, the level of comfort in interacting with a male farmer is uh, probably more thank so, you very much today for showing us around it's been a brilliant experience and it's really made our indian trip uh, really worthwhile so i thank you ever so much and we're in the studio where you make um the radio show that goes out every week yes um w- what's that show so that if anyone wants to listen online i will give out the portal i do not remember the name okay. of the portal i think it will be uh, radio.ekdunia.net and it's uh, a hindi show it's it's a hindi show but you also get the content in english and uh, uh, you can share content on the portal uh, you can share audio content as well so all the radio programs which are aired every week they go into that portal so you can listen to the radio programs on the portal as well as you can exchange content i'll have to uh, check however the website i just said it's radio.ekdunia.net i think that is the one don't worry i'll fix it afterwards but thank you very much <laughs> thank indeed you. thanks now we 
travel back over the sea to Britain and sit on the wiggly sofa. And this morning, Rosie has come upstairs and said, "There's a snake in the garden." <laughs> Now, which snake has got orange ears, please, Rich? Has to be a grass snake here, definitely. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It probably likes it here because it's got a couple of ponds quite close to it, so it's probably be eating great crested newts in the in the wiggly garden. But, well, uh, to Rose's alarm, it's right by the compost heap. Right. So I'm. They like compost heaps, yeah. don't they? They, like they, they, they get in those and curl up in those. She's uh, she may well have laid her eggs in the compost heap. In fact, that's where do we know. It's probably what she's doing. There probably uh, probably be eggs in the compost heap. So, with any luck, there might be a few more. Snakes to assault Rosie when she goes down to put the, her offcuts in. I'm Which sure she'll be pleased. I'm sure she will be. Yeah. Anyway, come on, let's get into the meat of this podcast. We have heard from a few people about podcast one three three, and I will start off with Martin Wood, who says this. Dear Heather, I've just made myself late for a meeting because I was glued to the earphones of my iPod listening to your latest episode. A superb show! Please pass my congratulations on to the team. That's enough of that now. <laughs> I would have emailed Richard, but he said he was too busy to receive even praise right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think the sensitivity and passion with which Richard and Farmer Phil—I still think Farmer Phil should have his own animated kids show. I don't think so. <laughs> Discuss the subject of different styles of animal. Caricature of Phil. What would <laughs> yeah. that be like? I don't know. <laughs> don't leave it. <laughs> Discuss the subject of different styles of animal husbandry, the death of the lambs, and the personal connection to what is food for many of us was compelling listening. You handled the debate with real skill, and the program, <laughs> yeah. and the program was put together well to show the reasonable argument and the agreements between the protagonists. Wonderful stuff. Keep it up. This one is up there with the best, Martin Wood. You handled the, the debate with real skill. You were like you instigated the whole thing. You're a troublemaker, you. Ridiculous. Lastly, before we get to Podchef, here's from Nick Fletcher. Heather, I'll do an iTunes thingy soon, but I had to tell you that Phil and Ricardo had me in stitches on their discussions. Regarding hobby and commercial farming, both valid points. Great to hear both sides coming from a Romney Marsh sheep farming family. Good work, more please, Nick. Right, come on, let's have it. <laughs> well, old Podchef, he's been pretty quiet of late. We haven't had too much hard information out of Western Washington State, and one of the reasons is I think actually he's been chasing pigs round his island by all accounts. But anyway, show number one three three. Stirred it up, and, and I'm going to read all of this. There are several pages, but I think it actually sums it up quite nicely and puts Podchef's slant on it. So it says, "Wow, number one three three, blam blam, both barrels of the Mossberg fired in the Wigley sitting room. You've certainly blow a hole in a few preconceptions with your hobby farmer versus commercial operation target shoot. The show needed a new Phil Ricardo row, and you delivered." And what's better is Phil's Peter Kendall played well off Ricardo's Mary Marshall. She's the editor of Country Smallholding magazine, and, and if you want the debate, then there's an article written by her, isn't there? There is, yeah.、Um, it's quite a long, complicated web address, but we'll、um, put the link up on the blog. And Peter Kendall, for those who don't know, is the current chairman of of our National Farmers Union, so he would represent the commercial aspect. Now, Podchef will wade in. I hate hobby farmers. 
<laughs> I dislike the term, I dislike the notion. They're prim and proper farmettes, mile-long vet bills for every wheeze and sniffle, feed store showroom barns and overly fat pets rankle me to the core. What makes this even worse is that occasionally someone implies I fit in the same category. Ooh. It really turns me purple. Yeah. That's the way, Pod Chef. Good man. Now, that being said, I have no problem with someone taking on some livestock to keep their grass down or to provide them some meat and fertility. I have no problem with them looking after their animals better than I can afford to my own. And for the majority of smallholders, it is more about the lifestyle and benefits of livestock ownership than posing, and they work hard at two jobs one that pays the bills and the farming which feeds their souls. With the NFU and country smallholdings slugging it out in the public forum, more mud has been added to the pond. There are valid points on both sides of the issue. Fair play to Ricardo for taking on some news and bad luck to the loss of his lambs. I was laughing at his lamb burial, which is exactly what I would have done. Round here it's known as SSS, shoot, shovel and shut up. I know what Phil was going to say before he said it. Defra and all their wisdom have spent vast resources on determining just what Ricardo should do with his ex-lambkins, but the big wheels of bureaucracy roll right over such a situation. At least he didn't dump them on the side of the road or toss them in the bin. The corner of his two acres is a fine resting place for those critters and until a few years ago was acceptable for most situations. The only thing which has changed is the EU rules. Don't let's get started on them. Quite right, let's not go there. I wonder if Richard has had his official visit over the situation yet, now that it has become public, or if that is yet to come. Are all your papers, permits and premise numbers in order, Ricardo? Did you have a licence for those sheep? (laughs) And that's where Peter Kendall and the NFU have stepped into the muck. Suggesting, hinting or implying that smallholders need a licence to farm is absurd. Equally absurd is the suggestion that because you are a smallholder you take better care of your livestock, etc., Now, hobby farmers may be another matter. Perhaps some sort of competency test for those who have ever worked in a square mile might be in order. I'm not liking the sound (laughs) of that. While it is true that some smallholders look after their stock exceptionally well and beg, borrow and pester from every farmer who will give them the time of day, the knowledge and experience they lack, and it is equally true that there are commercial farmers who are so diverted that the only part of animal husbandry they practice is the animal and that their lands, sheds and beasts are in an appalling state. These cases are perhaps the extreme examples. Among farmers, commercial, smallholding or hobby, there are those who are cut out for beasts and those who are not. Animal husbandry is not for everyone. It's too bad that not everyone realises or will admit this fact. Just because you can keep stock doesn't mean you should. Fortunately for the Wiggly listeners, we are in the hands of a team of people who are the best examples of animal welfare and husbandry. Phil has lost calves, suffered TB in his herd and had numerous other stock problems. Ricardo has entered the fraternity. Well, if he's playing Mary Marshall, should that be sorority? What unites <laughs> Phil and Richard, and I hear teeth gritting from across the pond, is they both are humble by their losses and rack their brains and search their souls about what could have been done differently, and only if. Richard has been taught a lesson that only livestock and dead stock can teach. He'll be better for it, and the animals under his care will be as well. Every day I do my rounds with the animals, I expect to find one dead. It rarely happens and I recriminate myself endlessly when it does. It doesn't matter if it's chickens, rabbits, sheep, cattle or pigs, it always hits me the same way. Cattle and pigs are perhaps the easiest to keep, sheep just have a will to die. They find so many unique ways to end their lives it's almost (laughs) comical. They also succumb more easily to common ailments. 
I am growing fond of our small flock. I used to hate sheep. I once lived near a flock which kept me awake for months at night coughing. I should have hated the farmer and not the dumb sheep. He didn't worm his sheep against lungworm and they must have suffered chronically. I only realised this when our own sheep developed the same cough and I investigated it. Still, I'm more fond of cattle and pigs, which is why it hit me so hard when my herd of pigs completely disappeared for an afternoon. The longer I hunted, the more I envisioned piglets with broken legs or dead and dying. They all came home in the end. They were just out on a busman's holiday because the fence was left off by a helpful child. My heart didn't stop racing for a day and I have redoubled my efforts to make sure it doesn't happen again. Do I or Richard or Phil need a licence for keeping the animals we do? Certainly not. The debate shouldn't be about who keeps a better eye on their animals and can lavish more vet service on them, etc. It should be what constitutes proper animal husbandry, the concern, the care and nurturing of livestock in all its facets. Adding more paperwork, more layers of management, more costs won't solve the failing of the system nor protect any more animals from the ravages of diseases. In fact, it could be argued that the more people who kept livestock, like once happened, the more people would have to lose by disease and the better off management would be. Don't go on. He does, but we're down to the last couple of (laughs) paragraphs. But in an industry gone to extremes and excesses, industrial-scale operations moving production units in and out of circulation where profit is king and percentages of loss are part of the equation, anyone keeping animals on a small scale must be a thorn in the side. Phil has to look after his cattle well, not only because they mean profit and loss to him, but because he cares. It's who he is. Richard has added another notch to his shepherd's staff. It's too bad he wasn't there for the lambing. You haven't lived until you've helped lamb. And there's nothing quite like your first time sticking a hand in a ewe on a cold morning. It's the oddest sensation of grotesque and pleasant warmth in the world. Right now I have five sheep on the grass outside my kitchen door, three lambs for meat and one baby lamb, and a Lester Longwell who is ready to pop any day now. Because she is a rare breed here and is valuable means we've moved her to where we can have her round-the-clock attention, and someone should be around when she lambs. We don't know whether it will be twins or single, scanning isn't practised much here on large farms, let alone one with only seven sheep. But experience, condition and genetics tell us it's probably twins, so we are treating accordingly. Time will tell, and sheep being sheep, this ewe will lamb at the worst possible time in the worst possible way. As always, we will do the best possible thing in the given situation, especially since there is no vet within miles and at best is a day away. Thanks for another great show. Phil may have carried round one of this row, but the listener was the winner in terms of good information and a jolly exciting listen. Can't wait for round two. All the best. Podchef. Well, I suppose that was worthy of reading out, wasn't it? Because it was a beautifully comprehensive response. He is a star. Where can we find Podchef if you want more Podchef diatribe? If you want more Podchef diatribe, the, the easiest place to find him is at www.kitchengardens.net. Very good. There is, do you two want to enter the row again? Because there is just one question that I've got to ask. Mm. Heptavac P, Rich. Heptavac P. Mm. Rings a bell. Mm. It's a vaccination for sheep that your advisor explained to you all about. Right. But there's one mystery that I've got. Yes. It's not organic. It's not organic. And well, I'm be. just wondering if we're sat on the sofa, if I am sat on this sofa with this lovely chap and his green corduroys, yes. who isn't organic. 
Well, <clears throat> am I not organic then? Am I in, are my influences? I mean, this is the problem, isn't it? I mean, I feel isn't organic. No. How do we know that that's? How do we know that they've been vaccinated with something? That's, I mean, I imagine that Richard isn't organic himself. Mm. So presumably, he's probably thinking uh, when I pointed out my organic sheep lick. <laughs> he's probably thinking, "Oh right, you tosser! I'll make sure that you're not organic by injecting your sheep with a non-organic compound." <laughs> and hey, presto, there you are. So perhaps. Well, we, I'll tell you what. I am shocked. Because when I listen to that podcast, <coughs> I learned so much from you about the importance and the only way of going forward is to be organic, that I assumed that you would be, because I understood... I would, I would assume that <laughs> I would be as well. <laughs> and, that, and I listened to it, and I heard the chap saying, you know, obviously, in my yeah. world, you need to vaccinate because of... Uh, things like Podchef's mentioned. Well, it's a welfare issue because the, the, the things that yeah. Haptivac P protect against are dead lambs, watery mouth, all these... I mean, I'm no sheep farmer, but they're all pretty foul diseases and usually result in death one way or another. Is that not a welfare issue? Mm. And I wouldn't criticise you at all for using Haptivac P, but I would criticise you for being a hypocrite. A hypocrite? Mm. Why, what, why am I a hypocrite? Because you criticise commercial farming and non-organic farming, and yet, partly through lack of research on your part, you've actually taken on board a welfare-friendly commercial non-organic action, which I totally agree with, but you haven't even researched it. The bloke just gave it to you, and you told us about it. Yeah, well, he didn't actually give it to me. I mean, to put, to put things into perspective, I have a friend who has taken me under his wing and said that he would help me to learn about sheep farming, which, of course, is a, is a good thing to do. So I mean, the only real way to learn, as you well know, is to have advice from friends and colleagues and uh, do things yourself. So consequently, Richard said, all right, I'll come and do this. And he offered to vaccinate the sheep for me. You're right in, in that I haven't done any research in vaccinating, but if someone turns around to you and says, I'd better come and vaccinate these this week, because if I don't, then they might get pasturella or something else and die then what would I, should I do? But doesn't it... So you're accusing me of being a hypocrite because I'm I'm, I'm conscious of the welfare of my animals. I will will follow that up with a little more... What I'm I'm saying is... I'm not a hypocrite, Phil. I mean, I appreciate appreciate the balance. What we're going to do, of course, when we do have a proper argument, is we're going to get someone in who's an organic farmer and who who really knows about organic farming so they can have a proper debate about Absolutely, but that's a different argument. That's a different argument to what we're talking about. is, is doing something thing and uh, is saying that someone should behave in such a way and not behaving in that way yourself but rich i've never talked rich, to you about vaccinating your no, animals but though. rich let's, when you and i let me just have my past, go now no, well, i haven't finished yet i haven't finished when you and oh, i have chatted about, about conventional farming versus organic farming we've looked at some of the basic principles of land management we haven't considered animal husbandry because my knowledge of animal husbandry is limited compared to yours because i wouldn't argue with something necessary that i know less about than you i do know more than you about the significance of hedges i do know more than you <laughs> about the significance of biodiversity on farmland i am fully aware of this, the contrasts in the pasture here in this area and the pasture where i live where no chemicals are freely applied to the land. So I can argue with those things, but I don't think... I, I, in fact, I resent the implication that you call me a hypocrite because uh, one <laughs> thing I'm not is a 
hypocrite. <laughs> right, have you quite finished now? Can oh, I yeah, have a go? Can have a go now. Yeah, you can have a go. Right. Now, oh, my yeah, argument... Because I only made that small point. It's nothing to do... No, you didn't. No, you know what you did. Have. It's nothing to do with the actual science of the act. But I would say that you knew that your friend vaccinated your sheep with something. Sure. Now, you broadcast that on the podcast because you recorded the act of doing it. Yeah. And in your life as a broadcaster and public persona and whatever else you promote organic farming and you get tucked into me for what i do now you couldn't even tell me the seven diseases that that vaccine protects your sheep from and now is that a responsible way to take ownership of sheep is it a responsible way to promote a style of farming that you don't actually know about but surely it's more responsible to act on the advice of a person that's probably third generation sheep farmer than it would be to have some ill-conceived ideas of my own and consequently compromise the health of my stock. Exactly my point. And so you're telling me how to farm my field, you've never farmed a field, to look after my hedges, you've never had to look after a hedge, I have to look had after, to look after, after my cattle. No, you haven't. You haven't had to commercially trim or look after a thousand acres of hedges. No. You've looked after a garden hedge. Yes. There is a total difference. Well, now, what I'm saying hedges, is that I'm with, hedges. I'm with the practice that the experienced individual knows because he knows right. Now, I'm not a sheep farmer, but I know that extracting dead lambs from a sheep is one of the most unpleasant things you can have to do. Mm. And that vaccine, that's one of the things it protects against. Most of the other things it protects against result in a requirement for a hole. Now, it's my go because I think the point about this. What is, is your case, though? Well, your case started off as accusing me as being a hypocrite. I don't understand what your yeah, case is. Yeah, but you're exactly. promoting organic farming and you don't actually know what you're promoting. And that when our original I argument. Know, um, no, 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 just no, let no, me say my thing. thing. You're putting words into my mouth. You're saying I'm promoting organic farming. Yes. I'm promoting some of the principles of organic farming. Because they're on balance, there's sufficient evidence to suggest that a great deal of the activities involved in conventional farming have done lots of bad things to our environment. So are you saying that you were wrong in vaccinating your sheep because the vaccine was harmful to the parasites that were going to hurt your sheep? Of course not. Well, what's my point? So is it wrong for me to kill aphids or whatever that are harming my crop? Only if it's compromising biodiversity. What would you know about the the compromise on biodiversity because you've never used the chemicals and you don't know about them? But I know what effects the chemicals have because why the you don't know what the chemicals well are, isn't it? Can you name any of the chemicals? Right now. Nice.